There is a new study, as I said, in the United States that is really not complementary to journalists and journalism. Media Insight Project, which is a partnership of the Associated Press Center for Public Affairs Research and the American Press Institute, says 6%, 6, single digits, 6% of the people in the States trust the media. This is not good. And it's not not good just for people like me and for my next guest who are journalists, although that's clearly a problem. But scoff if you wish, but it is not good for democracy and for freedoms. People can scoff at this. People can say, I'm making more of this and more of the importance of good journalism than needs to be there in a Kardashian era. But having media that people trust is important to hold people in power accountable That's important. If you don't believe me, look around the world at the countries where you have strongmen in power, dictators in power. Uh, They don't have much of a media, and there's a reason for that. People who are in great power, who have great strength in that power, do not like to have people poking around and finding their flaws and pointing it out to the people. They don't want that. They want things kept quiet. So the study, well, let me get, before we get to the study, let me introduce my guest. Sue Prestige is the head of the Mohawk College School of Journalism. Uh, she joins me now. Sue, thanks for doing this. Hi, Scott. How are you? I am. Well, listen, I'm, I'm hopefully not one of the 6%, but who knows? Um, before we get into this, the study says, this is a study that I've just introduced, says there are two things at play here, bias and accuracy. Let's start with the first one, because the perception is very broadly in this day and age, that bias is rampant through the entire world of journalism. Now, whether that's true or not is insignificant. It doesn't really matter because perception is the reality. But is that perception fair? Well, I think, in a word, yes. Let's talk about the early days of newspapers. Newspapers were conceived by families that had a certain political leaning, and therefore they took on the persona and the leanings of that particular family. So it's easy to point to certain newspapers and say, oh, well, that's a right-wing newspaper or, you know, that's a far-left newspaper, etc. So it's easy to see that. Down in the United States, um, and this has been, when I say a recent development, probably within the last 10 to 15 years, we've seen very much on the broadcast side a a certain development of very right-wing television stations and radio stations, etc. In fact, to the point that if you were to play the newscast from that television station versus probably one of the mainstream ones that we're used to, like ABC, NBC, or CBS down in the States, you would wonder if you were watching the same story. That's how clearly defined the lines are in terms of bias. And, 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 I mean, honestly, not just right-wing either. I mean, MSNBC and others fall on the other side. But what we've seen very clearly with this, and you're absolutely right, what we've seen is that in order to find their niche, to have people listen, to draw people to the station, to the radio station, TV, whatever, they have stations, papers, but mostly, mostly broadcasters have gone to more personalities, more opinion, more shouting, more harsh things, and... So when people say they hear more bias, they clearly do. I, I believe they, they ha- you know, if that's one of the factors for, the, for not um, trusting media, I can see that. But what I think you have to take into consideration, and I think you mentioned it just as you were coming out of the break, was that what is media today? Is media mainstream like it used to be with newspapers, radio stations, and television stations owned by either individuals or corporations, etc.? 
nowadays it's all of those plus it's social media it's citizen journalism it's tweeting it's you know like you name it it's out there and because of the speed the need for speed when it comes to news people are i think um taking a lot of risk with the information that's out there and all you do is have to cross somebody a couple times in turn in terms of not being accurate uh to lose that trust and that's what's happening, I believe, because of the speed that everybody is competing to be the first to get that out there. Well, and there's, a, you know what, you bring up a really interesting point, because this is where I find this study gets very complicated. It's very easy, and we can all understand this, it's very easy to say uh, certain media outlets, maybe all media outlets have a bias and say, okay, we, we realize that that's the case. But when this study was done, they said, what is media? And a lot of people say, where do they got their news? And one of the leading places was Facebook. And so when they're clicking on there, they see something on there and they click on it and it's some sort of news report. Well, then they say, well, they've learned not to trust that, but they've tied that all in so that the legacy media, if you want to say the papers and everything else, and Facebook and social media are now all being thrown into this mixing pot together and people are saying they don't trust any of it. I know, and they're painting everyone with the same brush. And to be fair, it's, it's funny. When, you, um, when I heard you talking about this, I thought, you know, a friend of mine just retired from the world of journalism. And another friend said to him, like, do you ever get tired of covering bad news, et cetera? And he said, um, well, they don't pay me to do stories on planes that land. And I thought, okay, that plays into it, too. So maybe you have a rash you know, spread out over a year, where journalism and journalists made mistakes, and in some cases, major mistakes. And what that would do is develop a sense of distrust. But honestly, how many people can look at great stories that have been done by the media that have actually changed, in some cases, governments, in laws, et cetera, et cetera? Um, It's funny, when you mentioned about some countries not even having an active media, um, in a class that I was doing on newspapers, we talked about the fact that in the early days of newspapers, they were referred to as the unofficial opposition because they were the ones that were keeping track of what was going on in the government, and they could be you know, the person that went back to their communities through their newspapers to say, hey, maybe you should take a look at what your government is doing for you or not for you. But, Sue, it really does suggest that the landscape in the journalism world, and again, whatever that means now, has changed dramatically if people see all media, whether it is newspapers, radio, TV, and social media, someone's Twitter account or a blog, as exactly the same thing. Well, the problem is that that's what we see. We have um, mainstream media, such as newspapers, radio, and television, having an online presence, having their reporters tweet. And so you can see where all of that starts to become a bit of a blur uh, blur, rather, and, you know, one of the things I said to my students, I said, what is the difference between getting a story from a professional journalist and a citizen journalist? And, you know, we talked about the type of story, et cetera. But I said, the citizen journalist has nothing to lose, really. They can put out almost anything. The professional journalist, journalist has everything to lose. They have their reputation to lose. They could possibly lose their job, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot riding. You know, professional journalism understands about media and ethics, but I am not sure that that ethical behavior has transferred to the newer forms of media that we see out there today.
And I think there are, I'll be fair, I think there, there are an awful lot of bloggers who have tried to build a reputation with credibility and have tried to be very accurate. I don't believe by any stretch that everybody is irresponsible. I think there's a, there may be some, but there's a lot of people who, in order to get attention, have to be accurate. The problem, though, becomes if, if the belief is that, well, if Facebook has a wrong story or an accurate story or Twitter has an, ina- an inaccurate story, we used to be told in journalism school, you've probably said this, that your only currency, your only thing that you can hang your hat on is your credibility as a right. reporter. But if a mistake on Twitter leads people to believe that you even are irresponsible or inaccurate, what then do you have? Here's the problem. I don't know how to correct that. That's what All I was going to ask you next. Train journalists to to uh, to work to the best of their ability and understand um, that responsibility that they have. But to be able to have to you know walk in and say, okay, we only have six percent of people who trust the media. How are we going to change that? Uh, is is next to impossible to come up with ways of doing that. Um, you know what I found interesting about the study that you're referring to is they said things like well, um, perhaps a specific uh, racial group would not trust media because they don't see themselves reflected in the stories. They're, you know, they are not interviewed for certain stories. They don't see reporters who reflect them in the newscasts. I mean, there, were, you know, there was a, a massive amount of questions asked of these individuals. And, you know, some people didn't trust the media. I thought this was really interesting in it. It tended to skew towards the younger group because the uh, the site or the app wasn't loading fast enough. The content works well on mobile or doesn't work well on mobile phones. Um, so it, you know what I mean? Like they were talking more about the technology, and that's why they didn't trust it versus the accuracy. And the accuracy factor came more from uh, an older uh, demographic. Before anyone thinks that we're just chatting here as, as sort of a defense mechanism that we're on just to uh, poo-poo any study that would say that journalists don't have any responsibility for this, um, is it not fair to say, though, Sue, that at least a reasonable amount of this is self-inflicted? Oh, I would, I would suggest that there is a certain amount that's self-inflicted, but I'd also like to point out that Certainly with newspapers, let's take newspapers as an example, and we all know about the cutbacks that have happened in all forms of media, radio stations, television stations, but particularly newspapers. So now they have fewer individuals trying to cover the same amount of stories. So maybe it sounds like I'm defending them, and perhaps I am. But if asked to do six, seven stories in a day um, and make sure that they're, you know, they are, they're, they're going for accuracy, I think in a lot of cases perhaps this. You know, it's a mistake. You know, mea culpa. I made a mistake. Sorry. But the number of of cuts that have been made in newsrooms means that those stories still have to be covered, but you're doing it with a, you know, a much smaller uh, team in order to do that and produce it accurately. How many times, I mean, I, you know, I know a lot of people saw the movie Spotlight, right? Um, about the Boston. The one, the one movie recently that was truly about heroic journalists. It was actually fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. But tell me how many newspapers can still afford to have an investigative team like that on staff who are doing nothing but going after this particular story in order to break it. I don't think there are very many left, which is, to- which is incredibly unfortunate, because I think that's really where, you know, we have, um, 
the opportunity to tell the stories and actually change things within our communities and within our countries. The second part of this, though, that I really believe, and, and you're, you're not wrong about any of that, I, I want to say, I mean, working in a newspaper it's, it, and, and talking to other friends and other colleagues who work other places, it's, it's absolutely true. But the other part of this that I think is really self-inflicted, we're always going to notice, the public is always going to notice the big explosions. And so when you have Dan Rather botching, regardless of whether the movie Truth, which was very ironically named, uh, named, came out and tried to spin it as being true. Dan Rather botched George Bush, Bush's military records. You have Brian Williams making up stories. Right. Um, Rolling Stone having to retract a huge story about rape on campus that it seems now is completely without any kind of merit. Jason Blair at the New York Times and Janet Cook at the Washington Post. Now, there's not a ton of them but they're so big, the, the, the blow-ups when they happen are so enormous that it's impossible, is it not, Sue, for people looking at this as consumers of media not to say, what's going on? This is a lot of a mess. Well, I agree, but I, I, I still get back to the analogy about the plane landing. How many great stories have been done by great journalists? And really, we never have the discussion or say, you know, what I would like to have seen perhaps to counterbalance this whole report was uh, about trusting the media, but what stories have you been impressed with, mm. you know, that have changed your life or changed the law? I mean, you know, the Flint, Michigan story, where the water in Flint, Michigan, has uh, turned out, you know, they were, they were using the river water unfiltered, et cetera, et cetera, going ahead and doing that would not have been, it, it was uncovered by the media, right? Yep. So they were, they were basically absolutely saving lives. So... You know, I get it, and I know that there's a six, you know, only 6% may trust the media, but I want you to remember two things. We're in an election year down in the States, and so the distrust, I thought it was interesting in the report, they said Democrats in the United States are less likely to say that they don't trust the media than Republicans are, because, you know, there's that whole idea that, you know, these mainstream media are left-leaning and you know, they're being controlled by government and perhaps major corporations, et cetera, et cetera. There's always that major distrust going on in there. And I don't know, you know, during, during political times when there is as much distrust out there, or at least distrust being spread by certain candidates, um, I think that the response that you're getting from individuals about not trusting the media Probably is true. I just think that, you know, when you have those big stories, yes, it's true. But also, if there was a, um, you know, a lawyer who was found stealing enormous amounts of money, et cetera, et cetera, well, what do you hear? I mean, you know, somebody will have, you know, a couple of pops at a bar and say, you know, all those lawyers can't trust them at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, it, you know, it's kind of the same thing. But, you know, as I say, you know, it's the big stories that get the attention. But I really wish somebody would say, you know, how many times have journalists really made an impact? Uh, you know, the Ontario Newspaper Awards are being held in Hamilton this weekend. And I have no doubts that I'm, I'll be going. My husband's one of the judges. But um, I, I have no doubts that I'm going to see some amazing stories that have been produced by journalists in our own community and throughout Ontario that have made a difference. So I get it. I do get this whole distrust of the media to a certain extent, but uh, I'm kind of standing behind the ones. Well, <laughs> well the one other thing as we go, because it's not easy. The one other thing, just as we go, because we're, we're just short on time, is I really believe that, and I don't know how it happened, and I don't know when it happened, 
But we now live in a society where everybody sees bias under every rock. If you read a story or you see a story and it does not reflect your view, we only go and look for things now that reflect our views. And if it doesn't, it must be wrong or it must be biased. And, and, and that is, I believe that's unfair, but that's the reality. And I can tell you, we have had more times at the spectator and I work in the sports department. So I'm only going by the sports side of things where we will have a story about a soccer game or about something else. And we will have people call in from each side, supporters of each side, arguing that it was biased against the other. And it's like, well, how is that possible? Well, here's the, here's the other part of that. You said that, you know, you have people that say uh, you're biased because it, they don't agree with what you've written. So we have so much media out there. They, they're able to go in and find another site that will support their, right. their thinking or their, their opinion. So, you know, it's, it's easy for them to say, uh, you know, I totally disagree. But I get it. You know, can you imagine two people calling in for a soccer game? That's not how it went and blah, blah, blah. That's but. Seriously, I mean, that's how... Um, you see what you want to see. ...important it is to them. Absolutely. Sue Prestige, head of the Mohawk Journalism School. Sue, thanks so much for doing this tonight. Absolutely, Scott, anytime. It is, uh, it, it is a really difficult thing, again, because th- I am not here to blindly defend all journalists. There, as I said, there are things in journalism that have absolutely been self-inflicted wounds, and I listed some of them. And the unfortunate part is some of the ones that are self-inflicted are so enormous that you understand. I completely understand why a lot of people would say, I don't trust the media. I, I mean, I really do. The unfortunate part, and Sue nails it, is that those are the rare cases, but they are absolutely the ones that are enormous. So you notice them. And then as they build up, you get a few of these and people say, well, you know, what can you trust? It's a tr- it's, it's a troubling, interesting study that may, as Sue says, have something to do with the fact that this is an election year. But the interesting part to me is that what comes clear, loudest and clearest to me through this study, is the there do not seem to exist any longer any boundaries or lines between media, as we've known it in the past, and social media. So if you send something out on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or something, and you say, so-and-so died. We had Prince die today. You say, so-and-so died. And then it turns out that that is wrong, that that's a wrong report. Well, generally, what you would say is, well, you are not a reliable source, but we don't do that anymore. It's, well, I read that online, and it was wrong, so the media, well, where did it come from? Well, we've blended all these things together, which doesn't excuse the legacy media, the mainstream media, whatever you want to call it, because mistakes are still made. But it really makes asking this kind of question very difficult because who now is the media? Well, we're out of time, unfortunately, for this one. But who is the media? That's really the question for me. And there is no answer because we have things have changed so much in recent years. They've changed so much in recent years. Got to take a break. Back after this on the show.